0: Good morning. Good morning, how are you holding up? I thought this morning, I'm going to be glad when this life is over. <laughs> and uh, I was trying to decide how do we, how do we go from here personally, because last week I shared a, a little bit from my heart to you, I, I gave you a video, and I knew that in giving the video, because I know many of you, <clears throat> that some would look at that and that would be a little difficult. Just because they they would they've come to different conclusions, which is fine, and we need to be really gracious with one another in these things. And that's you know honestly we all know that's difficult uh, because I think that as believers we understand the importance of truth and we want to know the truth and we want to as best we can discern that. And it's interesting in the history of the church you got Arminianism and Calvinism, you got pre-trib post-trib and You got premillennial, you got, you have all these things that have gone on over, since the church really began just about, and we can't even arrive at at unity in that. And so our, listen, our unity is in the grace of God. That's where our unity is. We have to have grace for one another. We have to learn how to do that, and that is not easy, thus I'm thankful, really. Uh, In fact, I'm reading another book right now, and one of the chapters is The Gift of, of suffering. I said, really? (laughs) But Paul said that I may know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. There is the work that God's doing in our lives that is causing us to die to things that need to die. God never says reform the flesh. He says kill it. He says put away these things. So I hope that as we're wrestling through these things, that the Lord will be instructing us and helping us to have grace for one another, and that we can learn how to. Be, because, and by the way, if you if you if you listen to that and you you would differ from, I hope what I in sharing that I wanted to give my heart as far as kind of how I do see things. I have arrived at something, but also really just the heart that. We're going to have differences, There's going to, and so I want to personally, for me, wrestle through, which I have been, I want to wrestle through my communication to you, that you understand that if you have differences, you are wanted here. You are welcomed here. We need each other, and the, and the dynamic of those kinds of things, when brought under the grace of God, is amazing. In fact, I was thinking in uh, Ephesians, Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. Do you know in the, book, in the New Testament, the word grace is found 12 times in Ephesians, 24 in Romans, and none of them are close. He talks about the grace of God. And in the context of this verse that's been a banner for me, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That passage is contextually about the grace of God. Not only the grace that Paul said, the grace of God which was given to me for you, and he's going to the Gentiles. Now, here's a, here's a Hebrew, here's a guy that hated Gentiles. He thought himself way above the Gentiles, and yet God called him and sent him into this arena that he, years before, would have never gone in. and he attributes this thing to the grace of God given to him. He said, I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God for you. He said, to me who am least and the least of all the saints, this grace was given. So Paul in, in, in Ephesians, as you're reading it, and then he says, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's praying that from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to riches of his, of his glory to be strengthened with might in the inner man. Listen to his prayer, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, can I say amen to that? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. He says, according to the power that works in us through the Holy Spirit. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. And then he says, chapter 4. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one of love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father is above all and through all and in y'all. So, Paul lived in the South. <laughs> then he says, But to each one of you, of us, Grace was given, each one of us, not just Paul, each one of us. So I could go on. I, I, I just want to communicate that we need each other like never before. We need our differences. We need to work through Jesus because that's where the grace of God is understood and deepened and the love of God is understood in width and length and depth and height. Who would have ever thought that God would call Paul to go to the Gentiles? I mean... And then you look who G- in fact, uh, I could go on, but we better get to the passage, okay? We're in Genesis 41, so would you stand as we honor God's word? And if you want to read a passage on that, just go to Nehemiah 8 and read that. So this, as I've said before, this narrative of Joseph's life hardly needs commentary. And so I'm going, to wrap, I'm going to summarize some of that just for the sake of time this morning. But this is an incredible passage. It's first 57 verses. I want to read just going back to chapter 40, running start, and then read verse verse 1 of chapter 41, and then we'll we'll get into it. So, now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday. Remember, Joseph has interpreted the, the, the dreams. So, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, said, please remember me. But the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. So, Lord, again, thank you for your love and your word. Thank you, Lord, that you've given to us these, these uh, divinely preserved and inspired words that we might grow. Faith comes by hearing. So, Lord, i prepared some things. I pray you break them fresh. Give us ears to hear. Help us, Lord, to continue to hunger after your word. To be, it, we, we desire it more than gold, that these things will become tre- the, the word will become the treasure of our hearts. Bless I now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So I titled this, The Way Up is Down, and the Bible is, is replete with paradoxes. A paradox is a seemingly contradictory statement that when examined proves to be true. I would say for the believer, when it is lived out, proves to be true. It's one thing to know something, it's another thing to put it into practice. So here are some of them, eight of them, uh, and who knows how many there are in the Bible, and there are a lot, but let me just, let's let just go through eight. Proverbs 11:24. 24, there is one who scatters yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. Matthew 23, Jesus said, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Matthew 20, 16, so the last will be first, and the first last. Uh, Luke 17, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Romans 18, and having been set free from sin... You became slaves of righteousness. 1 Corinthians 3.18, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches in needs, in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. They're, they're, they seem to contradict each other, yet they don't. In living these things out according to the by the power of the Holy Spirit. So James puts it this way: humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. The way up is down in God's in God's uh, relationship with us. So there are four things I want to look at: Pharaoh's dream and Joseph's dungeon, Joseph's promotion and God's spirit, Joseph's place and God's plan. And then I want to just close it with: God is with us. That's the theme of this whole God with us, up and down with God. How many of you have ups and downs with God? All of us, yeah. And it's no paradox. That's just the way it goes. That's the linear side of life. So Pharaoh's dream in Joseph's dungeon. In verse 1 it says, And it came to pass at the end of two full years. Now, why two years? I have no idea. But I will tell you this. If it didn't require two years, God wouldn't have had it be two years. So... Time and timing are according to God's infinite wisdom. Therefore, for the believer, until our time is up, time is on our side. That's why we can be patient waiting on the Lord. However, for the unsaved, time is urgent. Time is urgent. When your time's up, it's too late. So James puts it this way, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, I love this, we shall live. We shall live. Paul to the Athenians says that God gives to all life and breath. When Daniel was confronting Bel, uh, King Belshazzar, he said, God holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways and you have not glorified him. What's needed is repentance. That takes the time and places in eternity. So in verses 40, in chapter 41, verses 2 through 8, I'm going to summarize it. There are seven, he's, he gives in the dream, and there are seven uh, fine-looking and fat cows that are then eaten up by seven ugly and gaunt cows. Then there are seven plumped and good stalks of grain that are devoured by seven blighted stalks of grain. That's the picture, that's the dreams that he had. And they were very vivid. So in verse 41, uh, chapter 41, verse 9, then the chief Butler spoke to Pharaoh saying, I remember my faults this day when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief butler. We each dreamed a dream in one night, he and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. So he's, oh, I forgot, let me tell you. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man, he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. So he said, "Oh, I told two years ago. This is what happened." Verse fourteen. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. They brought him quick, him quickly out of the dungeon, and he and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So then Pharaoh tells him his dreams again. He repeats them in verses 17. Verse 24, it says, and the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. God placed the interpretation in one man. It was Joseph. He's the man. So verse 25, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. And so he says, There's going to be seven years of good plenty. and There's going to be seven years of extreme famine. And so verse 32, it says, And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice, because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. It's going to happen. That's why there were two dreams. So Pharaoh's dream in Joseph's dungeon. God had been setting the stage for this very hour. That's what's going on. Esther, remember when Mordecai spoke to her? He said, who knows if you have come for such a time as this. Joseph was, was raised up by God for this time right now. Now, little did Joseph know... That it was but a few hours and he would be ruling Egypt. From the dungeon to exalted as second in all of Egypt. Amazing. And little did Pharaoh know that Joseph would become his prime minister. That's how it doesn't take God long to make the change. God has been not only setting the stage for this hour. He's been setting the stage for his own purposes. And God chooses who he uses. God uses who he chooses. So Pharaoh's dreams were God's doing. In Proverbs it says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. There's nothing outside the realm of God. God's possibilities. He's working behind the scenes. We find the same thing with Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. God gave to Daniel the interpretations. Caesar Augustus, you remember that. In order to fulfill Micah chapter 5, verse 2, where the Messiah would come from, he says, I'm going to put a tax out there. Why? To get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. Now, you wouldn't have known that necessarily just watching the headlines. In fact, I have not watched the headlines since Election Day. <laughs> and it's been wonderful. It has been. I'm telling you, for my prayer life and everything else, I, just, I don't even know what's going on. And don't send me emails, okay? <laughs> Listen. God always equips and gifts those that he uses, that he raises up. For Joseph, it took a few years, but let me say to you, so does it for us. God is working in our lives to prepare us for what he has in our future. So he equips and gifts those he raises up. Now, Joseph gave God the credit for that. Verse 16. He said, it is not in me God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And we need to always, you know, Joseph's not going to take credit for what God's doing. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did receive it, why do you glory as if you had not received it? Good question. So then Joseph counsels Pharaoh. The prisoner is counseling the king. The world ruler. Now therefore, verse thirty three, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man. Now you can see a little bit in here why he's counseling him. Let him set select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. That, that phrase is in there several times. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, the land that the land may not perish during the famine. So this is, this is a prisoner, Joseph, counseling the king, and it was counsel from God. So Joseph's promotion and God's Spirit. This is beautiful. Look at verse 37. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh. He's the one that's going to make the decision, or so he thinks. (laughs) And in the eyes of all the servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? This is the first mention of the Spirit of God being in someone in the Bible. That's the difference in our lives. That's the difference here. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garment of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. This is one day from prisoner, filthy, to exalted, as right hand or second to Pharaoh. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had, and they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath (laughs) <laughs> and they don't even know what it means, so there it is. <laughs> and he gave him a wife, Asenath, and they don't know what that is either. Daughter of Potipharah, wife of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He's a young man. Fully equipped for what God's called him. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh, and he went throughout all the land of Egypt. So here it is. Set Joseph over his house, set him over all the land of Egypt, set him over his officers. He is in charge. Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt, but I like this also. It says Joseph went out throughout all the land of Egypt. So his authority is established, not to be questioned. His administrative gifts are like no other. His discernment and wisdom are now on full display before the world, this 30-year-old young man, in one day. So Joseph, the servant and steward, the one who refused to sin against God, Joseph, the one who showed mercy and compassion to those that were with him, God raised him up through all of these past things. All these things rooted in his relationship with God, his consecration to God and his merciful care for people. So when I look at these verses, I picture Joseph going out throughout all the land of Egypt to see firsthand what the people are going through. Wow. I said, can we find such a one as this? When Jesus came, that's exactly what he did. He went out. He lived among us and dwelt among us. That's the heart of the Spirit of God. Thus, the character of God requires of those who are in leadership, those who would be over his people, to be servants, to be stewards, to have purity of heart and mind, to be consecrated to God, to be merciful and caring, to love people at ground level. That's Christianity. That's what we're called to do. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Full of grace and truth. As I was sharing before about the grace of God. So now we go to verse 47. Joseph's place and God's plan. So first of all, there are years of plenty. This is all God's plan. Joseph's place. So verse 47. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt. And laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. So Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was without number. So Joseph, again, a gifted administrator, each of the cities gathering around the cities, gathering it in. It was crazy fruitful what was going on, knowing what's coming. So the years, verses 50 through 52, there's years of plenty, but there's also the years of forgetting and fruitfulness. This is sort of stuck in, this thing, before we get to the famine. So, And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, wife of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land Of my affliction. So Manasseh means amnesia. It means God has made me forget. God's going to wipe away every tear. In other words, that's what's going on here. Ephraim means fruitfulness. God has caused me to be fruitful. What a wonderful further insight into the depth of Joseph's relationship with God. He named his children to remind him of God's blessings in his life. Looking back, Before the years of famine came, Joseph knows the famine is coming, but he's not all fretful about it. He's looking back and thanking God through his children. He knows it's going to get difficult, but that is not his focus. I say, Lord, how applicable is that? His focus on what God has already done in his life, in spite of his toil. In spite of missing his family, not even knowing if he'll ever see his father again or his brothers. It seems that as the years went by, Joseph learned to trust God. Culminating when he saw his brothers, finally did. He learned to keep, if I can use this, a positive attitude. That's how he saw the things that were going on in his life with God. To see the glass half full. I want to tell you, I'm naturally half empty. Ask the gray, pray, guys. <laughs> this is a work of the Spirit of God in my life to see the things that are going on, knowing that what God has already promised, knowing what's, gonna, what's coming. But hold on a second. Look what God's done. Look at the things He's accomplished. And I look at the pa- this pandemic as one of the best works that God's ever done in my life. How about you? <laughs> Should I not ask that question? Someone once said, the hardest arithmetic to master is learning to count our blessings. How many of you would say, uh, yeah, I get it. Someone else, we can, aco- we, we can complain because rose bushes have thorns or rejoice because thorns have rose bushes. I said, Lord, help us to be like Joseph. But he didn't just think that. He named his children these things. So no matter what was coming, he had a reminder in his very central of his family, through his children. Someone sent me this. An extensive study in the USA found that USA Today found that the most productive age in human life is between 60 to 70 years of age. The second most productive stage of the human being is from 70 to 80 years of age. So Joseph's 30, and you think, wow. No, he's got a few years before he hits that spot. The third most productive stage is from 50 to 60 years of age. The average age of a Nobel Prize winner is 62 years old. The average age of the presidents of prominent companies in the world is 63 years old. The average age of pastors of the 100 largest church in the USA is 71. The average age of the Pope, 76 years. This tells us that the best years of our lives are between 60 and 80 years old. Listen, do not retire from serving God. And also, don't be discouraged because your body doesn't work quite as well. (laughs) Don't be discouraged if you just can't close the synapses like you used to be able to. Listen, the best years are ahead. They're ahead. You reach the top of your potential and continues into the 90s when you're 60. I got that thing and I said, yeah. <laughs> now, then the years of famine come. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come. So it wasn't just like, but okay, things are deteriorating. Thing is coming. We can start to see it. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. The family was in all the famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened up all the storehouses and said to the Egyptians and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. Notice, so all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all land. God is using a severe famine to reunite Joseph to his family and to carry on his plan through Joseph. So here's the, Joseph is the go-to guy. Really? Yes. Sold into slavery. Prisoner. And so goes the ups and downs with Joseph. Behind the scenes, God is at work. God is at work. He's got the whole world in his hands. I would say, he's got the whole world history in his hands. Look at this quote from A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy. In God, mercy and grace are one. We benefit earnestly by God being just what he is. Because he is what he is, he lifts up our heads out of the prison house changes our prison garments for royal robes, makes us eat bread continually before him all the days of our lives, unquote. That's coming. Thus it will be at the resurrection of the righteous. There's gonna be on that day a change, radical. So I wanna close with a couple thoughts. God with us in the ups and downs of life. God comes down to prepare us to raise us up. God allows the down times. To prepare us for his up times. Moses is a classic testimony. Of the way up with God. He was 40 years in Egypt. Thinking himself a somebody. As it says in Acts. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And was mighty in words and deeds. 40 years. Thinking himself a somebody. But then God comes into the picture. And 40 years in exile. Finding himself a A nobody. But then, 80 years later, after his birth, an example. God takes a nobody and makes him a somebody. From his very birth, God was preparing Moses for the work he had for him. And so, I'm not going to, in Hebrews, if you want to make note. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents for they saw he was a beautiful child. They weren't afraid of the king's command. By faith, when he became of age, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with God's at work behind the scenes with Moses. Bring him to that place of 40 years in the wilderness, a nobody, to then through his work in his life, bring him, raise him up so he could use him. David, the ruddy shepherd who slays the giant Goliath. Favored warrior of Israel, jealously hated by the king of Israel. Anointed to be king, fleeing from Saul, the rejected king. Ups and downs. God's work. God's work. David, adultery with Bathsheba, restored, but never the same. Ups and downs in David's life. David, overthrown in a coup by his son Absalom, then returns as king to finish his days. But Absalom, his son, dies. By David came Jesus. Through the prophecies of the sweet psalmist of Israel, unrivaled by any other poetry we ever read, the world has known that God is a refuge in our lowest downs and our highest ups. Maybe no better psalm than Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still water. I think you've got to pronounce the the pronouns. Me, me, me. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of rights for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. When David looked back on his life with all the ups and downs, he looked back and said, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Paul the Apostle, in his walk with God, Galatians says, when it pleased God who who separated from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I must preach among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were were apostles before him, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus then after three years, sidelined by God to work out some things in his life. He says, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. A key word for this series is destiny the faith of Joseph. Joseph was 17 years old when his brothers sold him into slavery. If Joseph's brothers never sell him to the Midianites, then Joseph never goes to Egypt. If Joseph never goes to Egypt, he is never sold to Potiphar. If he never sold to Potiphar, Potiphar's wife never falsely accuses him of rape. If Potiphar's wife never falsely accuses him of rape, then he never goes, he's never put in prison. If he's never put in prison, he never meets the baker and the butler of Pharaoh. If he never meets the butler and baker of Pharaoh, he never interprets their dreams. If He never interprets their dreams, He never gets to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. If He never gets to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, He never is made a a prime minister over Egypt. If He's never made prime minister over Egypt, He never wisely administrates for the severe famine in the region. If He never wisely administrates for the severe famine in the region, then His family in Canaan perishes from famine. If his family in Canaan perishes from the famine, then Messiah can't come forth from a dead family. If the Messiah can't come forth, then Jesus never came. If Jesus never came, then you and I are dead in our sins and without hope in the world. Now, if it didn't happen this way, God would have a way to get it done. Let me say that. But Joseph was in the middle of the centrality of God's plan throughout all ages to bring his Messiah into the world that he might save us from our sins. Can you say amen? Amen. That's what we see going on here. The mysterious ifs that we contemplate in hindsight. In hindsight. May these hindsights given to us in God's word, these records of the lives of Moses and Joseph and David and Paul the Apostle, and so many more be our foresight in trusting God to no matter how awful things get, He is with us. He's with us. In Paul, uh, this passage in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. But as for you, Joseph said to his brothers, after the whole thing is seen now in hindsight, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it out about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. The Holy Spirit inspired words are Jesus' words for us. Do not be afraid. I have a plan. I'm going to work it out in your life. Yes, there are ups and downs. There are things that are going on that you don't understand now, but when you look back and when we look back, phew. Wow. And so this mystery, can I trust God, is unveiled and fully answered in the coming of Jesus Christ. However, a great however a great mystery remains. That's his incarnation. God became a man. That is a mystery. Paul wrote to Timothy, "Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. That is a mystery." Justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed in the world, received up in glory. Luke chapter 2, verse 40 And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, in faith with God and man. So here's the God becoming a human being, increasing in these things, growing, learning. Is that a mystery or what? But he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. There is no mystery as to God's promised plan for our good. God's covenant with Abraham, then Isaac, and Jacob, and then Joseph and David, and bringing forth His Messiah—that was His plan, and He will accomplish it. And He will yet accomplish it. Jesus came down to raise us up. Can you say Amen? John 6 verse 40, and this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting, and I will raise him up at the last day. We ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) As dark as it gets, there is coming a resurrection from the dead. There is coming a kingdom here on earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is all God's doing, all God's plan. Second Corinthians 8 9, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. There is no mystery as to God's plan, provision, and power for our ultimate temporal and eternal good. It doesn't get any better than this. Romans chapter 8, We know that all things work together for good according to God's... For, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose... What should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? A lot of things come again, but if God is for us, there's nothing that matches. What should we say to these things? Far out. Yeah. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, but delivered deliver him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? What do you need Today. God's the one who is your provision. God's the one who will help you through it. God's the one who will help us in all of our angst. I am persuaded neither life nor death nor angels nor principality nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. I say, yeah. These are the things that are given to us in what Jesus did for us. God prepares every life he uses We often don't recognize God's work in our lives because things seem so bad. So always remember these two words, but God, but God. In all the angst and things that go on through our minds and wrestle us to the ground many times in our feelings, listen, but God. You know, it's just just so powerful. It's not just this idea. It's true. Look what Paul wrote in Acts, with Stephen preaching in the book of Acts. And the patriarchs becoming, or Luke wrote it, and the patriarchs becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. That's sort of the title of of the last three parts we did. God was with him, with him. (laughs) <laughs> and he did him out of all of his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan and our fathers found no sons. And here we just got done with the story. God is with us. Acts, but God has shown me that I should not call any man. So here, here is, is Peter at Cornelius' house. He's thinking, I don't know if I should go there. I'm Jewish, but God has shown me. Acts chapter thirteen, Paul preaching Antioch, but God raised him. Who? Jesus from the dead. Romans chapter five, for whom, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for who? The ungodly, for scarcely for righteous men die, yet perhaps for a good man someone even dare die. But God. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And if he didn't, we're hopeless. Ephesians. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we we're dead in trespassed sins, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised up together, made us sit together in the heavenly place in Christ Jesus. Then in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Wow. But God. 1 Corinthians but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame. Do you fit that? Foolish, weak. And the base things of the world and the things which are, are despised, God has chosen. If God's chosen, I'm not going to argue with them. <laughs> and things which are not to bring to nothing, things that are that no flesh will glory in his sight. That's what God's doing. That's, that's why God chose us. 1 Corinthians, as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them, for those alone, but God has revealed them to us. He has shown us some things that are so mighty and so powerful and so faith deepening, and we need to take to heart his word and what he's shown us. First Corinthians chapter 3, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. He's the one who takes our lives and makes them fruitful. He increases in our hearts and minds as we begin to learn to get our eyes on Jesus. Finally, 1 Corinthians, no temptation has take, overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. but will with the temptation. No, he doesn't say, I'll take the temptation away. He says, with the temptation, will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God has a plan and a path for each. The way up is down. And the Bible is replete with so many other passages we could go to. When it seems like it's the worst time in your life, it may be just around the corner. And let me say this. When it's all said and done, which is right around the corner, this, this world is temporal. This life is temporal. What we're going through is temporal. The things which we see are temporal, but those things we don't yet see are eternal. And I say, yes, yes. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this story of Joseph. It is such an encouraging, historical, preserve for us in your word. And here's this man, Joseph so many things we would look at as being so bad yet ultimately your plans and purposes were so good and so we love you Lord and we I know for myself I just want to repent before you Lord of just some of the angst that's gotten a hold of my heart even cast all my cares upon you because you care for me and Lord we confess to you that we oh how we need to trust you Oh, how we need to do the work in our hearts to bring us to that place where we can say with Joseph, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to preserve life. And I pray, Lord, for our, just our, our, our day-to-day even, but then this week and this month and the years ahead, whatever that means, that we might learn to trust you with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength because certainly we can we love you, we thank you for Jesus dying on the cross that our sins might be forgiven that we might have a hope, an expected end through faith in you and we do pray Lord as we're bowing our hearts in closing this passage closing this study today in your word that anyone that's here that doesn't know you, anyone that's watching that doesn't know you Lord our prayers go up to you we ask Lord that you draw them to yourself as only you can, we pray that Holy Spirit you would convict of righteousness sin, righteousness and that you would draw them to that place. And I have no question, We have, Lord, we think of our loved ones. And we know the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So we are asking and praying for that, Lord. Even in this room today, people that are watching, our loved ones that we're praying for. Lord, help us to stay at it and interceding that you might work in their hearts and their minds, drawing them to yourself, convicting of sin and righteousness and judgment that they might be saved. So, Lord, we love you. We bow before you in this final song of worship and say, to you be the glory, great things you have and are yet to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing, bless the Lord.